Cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a reed and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover them, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you, and also with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. 
and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came to him and said, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If they do, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in this sacred time and space, may you con continue to be the focus of our eyes, ears, and hearts. May I decrease that you ever may increase. And to you alone be all honor, glory, and praise. In the name of Jesus Christ, the risen. Amen. So, what are you giving up for Lent? Have you heard that said or said it yourself yet this year? It is a common enough question, even if this year you only ask it of yourself. Lent is, after all, a season of fasting, amongst other things, as Tim pointed out in his opening remarks. Now, since it's also a service of confession this evening, I'll start with one. I must confess that in years past, I've had what I thought was a pretty clever answer to that question. My response always was, chocolate. Chocolate lovers would be in awe of my deep and sacrificial spirituality. And I didn't feel the need to tell them that while I liked chocolate well enough, it wasn't that great a sacrifice for me. You see, I thought I had a win-win-win scenario here. Chocolate lovers would think that I was particularly pious. It would serve to remind me of approaching Holy Week. And at the same time, it wouldn't be too much of a disruption of my life and appetites. Now, I knew that was a kind of a disingenuous approach to fasting. But I didn't re fully realize how disingenuous until I spent some time with our lectionary readings for tonight. Now, before we get to our readings, I just want to point out something from our bulletin. If you downloaded the bulletin for this evening's service, and if you haven't, I would encourage you to do so, not just for tonight, but for all of our services. There's lots of good material in there uh, to keep us busy for the week, especially around the prayers. 
But if you, if you did take a look at the bulletin, you would have had the opportunity to read the explanation of the significance of Ash Wednesday by Dr. Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury. He explains the development of Lent as a season of penitence and fasting, particularly as an echo of the 40-day fast that marked the beginning of Jesus' ministry years. Williams also points out that the word Lent comes from the Old English word for spring, and that this time, while officially a season of fasting, is also meant to be a season of expectation, expectation of growth, expectation of resurrection. This is not meant to be a season of mournful self-denial based on self-hatred or worm theology, as some call it. Rather, it is to be seen as the fitness regimen of an athlete preparing for the Olympic Games. These are very good insights by Dr. Williams, and indeed they are worthy worthy of repeated reflection throughout the Lenten season. And I believe I will be returning to it myself a number of times throughout the season. Our lectionary readings, however, seem to have a different attitude towards fasting. At first glance, almost a flat-out rejection of fasting. There's such surprising selections for the beginning of Lent. In our gospel reading, Jesus responds to the criticisms that his disciples don't fast like the disciples of John or like the Pharisees with the observation, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Our reading from Isaiah 58 is in some ways even more radical and surprising as a lectionary reading for the beginning of Lent. And it is here that I want us to focus this evening. The Israelites, punctilious in their religious observances and persistent in their fasts, mystifyingly remained under God's apparent judgment. Frustrated and desperate, they lament, with, with lament, they ask God in verse 3, Why have we fasted, and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it? Perhaps they shouldn't have asked, because God's response is both blunt and disconcertingly all-encompassing. That isn't the kind of fast I asked for, God proclaimed. The fast that God chooses is to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. It's to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. The prophet elaborates further. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. One of the things that we can discern and extrapolate from the Old Testament story of God's dealing with Israel, and this is one of those situations, is God's heart for all of humanity. Reading this passage and so many others like it, it becomes clear that God finds all forms of oppression and inequity distasteful. And the last line of verse 7 is particularly illuminating as to why. Those who are oppressed and poverty-stricken and in whose oppression and poverty we often participate 
are our own flesh. We are all part of a common humanity created in the image of God. Can we say we love God and long to please God and yet oppress, disparage, diminish, even kill others created in that image? Can we? God's answer is a resounding no. Oppression and inequity based on race, gender, creed, social standing, or for any other reason is radically and dramatically out of sync with God's heart for humanity. Now, we may be tempted to see this only in macro or societal terms, to externalize the problem of injustice to the 1%, the political movers and shakers, the nameless, faceless systems of oppression. But this also applies to every one of our relationships. There is no doubt that we as Christians must fight for justice at a societal level. But we can't forget to seek to banish unequal and oppressive behaviors from all of our personal relationships as well. How do we treat our spouse, our children, our elderly parent, our employees, those we supervise? Is there anywhere in my life I try to control or manipulate another person for my own advantage? This passage speaks to me. While these might be rousing talking points for stimulating conversation and debate, in all honesty, it doesn't sound like a fast as we understand fasting, does it? How does the prophet put social justice and fasting together? This is a classic social justice text, so how can the pursuit of social justice be considered a fast? There are a number of purposes for fasting, but at the core of it is regulating our appetites so they won't dominate or rule us. And the purpose of that is to allow the opportunity for our spiritual appetites and sensibilities to become more acute. We fast to become more focused on God, more tender to the work of the Holy Spirit, more desirous of pleasing him. In our reading this evening, God is saying to us, you cannot be focused on me, be tender towards me, desiring to please me, and not be focused on tender towards and desiring to please those I love, specifically the disadvantaged, the vulnerable, and the oppressed. In the litany of penitence that we will be praying together shortly, one of the prayers of confession is for our self-indulgent appetites and ways and our exploitation of other people. Self-indulgence often requires the withdrawal of indulgence from others. Or to put it another way, our efforts to satisfy our appetites will cause us to take advantage of others to have those appetites satisfied. Our focus when we are self-indulgent is ourselves, isn't it? Those unregulated appetites need not be just physical either. They can also be emotional. We can seek to manipulate and control others to have our own needs met, whether they be physical or emotional. When we fast, or at least when we fast well, we have the opportunity to shift our focus away from ourselves toward God and toward those God loves. And rather than taking advantage of others to satisfy ourselves, we can deny ourselves to satisfy others. And in the sacrificial effort to meet the needs of others, we will begin to approach the fast that God chooses. Then, 
shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring forth will spring up speedily your righteousness shall go before you the glory of the lord shall be your rear guard then you shall call and the lord will answer you shall cry and he will say here i am and the lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden like a spring of water whose waters do not fail and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt you shall raise up the foundations of many generations you shall be called the repairer of the breach the restorer of streets to dwell in now i know in our culture we are tempted to think that we need a concentrated focus on our problems for our problems to be resolved and actually the self-help industry depends on people believing that totally there is a time and place for doing our homework Denial of our problems is not the answer. But here and elsewhere in the Bible, the implication is that many of our distresses will be addressed most effectively by seeking to serve others. Your life will move from an arid and barren wasteland of selfishness to a lush and fruitful oasis of service. From the rubble of ruin to a glorious restoration, a garden that will feed many and a city that will shelter generations. In the light of this passage with its glorious vision of what a people focused upon and led by God will look and act like giving up chocolate seems pretty trite doesn't it The fast that God chooses and to which he will respond favorably is a fast of self-denial for the sake of others So what are you giving up for Lent Let us pray. Father, in this quiet moment, may we be tender toward your spirit as that spirit seeks to point us in the direction of a lenten fast that you choose. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.